The Athletic. 2023 was definitely an eventful year. The World Cup is the domain of Spain. The Spanish Football Federation president, Luis Rubiales, says he will resign from his post. Christine Sinclair exits the field for the final time wearing the Canadian Maple Leaf. Now that the year is over, what was your moment of 2023? I'm Sophie Penny, and from The Athletic, this is Full Time Europe. With me today, it's the athletic trio of Michael Cox, Chloe Morgan and Charlotte Harper. Hello to you all. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi, Sophie. Michael, just quickly before we get started, what made 2023 stand out to you? 2023 for me was all about the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. I was out there for five weeks and it was just a fantastic experience. Just watching everyone get really into the tournament. I thought the quality of play was fantastic. There were some great games, good performances from the outsiders It was just a a fantastic tournament, probably the best one that I've ever covered. We'll definitely be hearing more about that World Cup in today's show, where we'll be revealing your moments of the year and those of other athletic writers. Chloe, you're up first. What was your moment of 2023? I mean, does anyone even need to ask? I mean, I'm supposed to be obviously very impartial about the whole situation, but being a former goalkeeper, it had to be something goalkeeper related. And who else but my absolute idol, Mary Earps. And I think it was obviously sort of, you know, joining The Athletic in in February, March time. And you sort of hear, you know, breaking stories coming up on, you know, Twitter and, you know, other sources and things. But to actually be in the same room when Mary Earps sort of dropped this massive bombshell uh, just a couple of days before the World Cup started about, you know, the goalkeeper shirt situation and that, you know, Nike weren't selling, you know, female Lioness's goalkeeper shirts and it became this massive movement and the way that she spoke so passionately about it and the timing of it as well you know just a few days before that she was supposed to sort of enter one of the most pressurized situations on on the planet for her to use her platform again to kind of you know spark this bigger conversation about you know why the shirts weren't being sold so it was a pretty jaw-dropping moment I think everyone in that press pack room we were taken back by it but I think then sort of looking at the wider implications of, you know, that conversation, she sort of went quite quiet throughout the tournament, obviously, you know, being very much focused on on the football. But afterwards, then we sort of saw, you know, a couple of months back, Nike then selling a limited quantity of the shirts, which sold out in seconds. And then only just now the sort of big release uh, was announced and, and the shirts were all sold out in, I think, five minutes, I'm hearing. So, you know, from having that conversation, from being so open and honest, it now triggered this wider thing. But if I'm still going to be critical of it, the only thing I would say is that, you know, men's shirts weren't included in the in the goalkeeper sales. It was just women and children, which I still find a little bit bizarre. But yeah, I think it was a, it was a, just a great moment. The cult of Mary Earps definitely includes men as well, I would say. And she has become a sort of cult figure from this campaign, hasn't she? I mean, it's kind of propelled her profile and also the profile of goalkeepers as well, Chloe. That must make you very proud. Oh, massively. I think we, we never really get given that much credit. Um, and we only ever get the sort of attention when it's for something, you know, ridiculous that we've done, a very obvious and, and horrible error. And that was one of the great things, obviously, about the World Cup tournament, that we saw so many amazing performances. We had, you know, Ndozi, we had uh, Daphne van Domselaar, we had Zakira Musevic, all pulling out these incredible performances. And I think it really put women's goalkeeping on the map to say, do you know what? I know it was sort of playing catch up to a certain extent but it's very much now at the forefront of everyone's minds and Mary Epps tried to make it sexy and I think actually goalkeeping is very sexy now so we've won. We've seen Mary Epps 
on a lot more shoots and brands and TV shows. How difficult is it to balance those on and off field commitments? And do you think Mary Earps is the best goalkeeper in terms of the actual skill in itself of shot stopping, distribution and her performance on the pitch? As she's sort of risen to, I mean, she was already incredibly famous, but I think, like you said, the World Cup and all the sort of stuff that she's done with Nike has definitely propelled her into a next level of sort of of notoriety, I think, in the women's football community and also mainstream. I mean, it was only not too long ago that we were seeing her on TV for, you know, appearing in various game shows. And there was a part of me thinking that's quite an unusual thing to do when you're still mid-season and still at that point in the lead up to uh, the Women's Nation League games as well, because you only have to go on a game show like that and have some kind of injury and people will be questioning sort of where your priorities really lie. So I think there there is that balance to be had between, you know, wanting to obviously raise your brand, raise your profile, um, and also just, you know, enjoy the success that you've had off the back of an incredible tournament and an incredible season with Manchester United. But I do think it, it, it is something that, that does take a bit of fine tuning. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see now sort of what the situation is with her going forwards now that she's won pretty much every single award on the planet. I mean, I, it's, it's going to sound really biased again, but I actually do think that at the current point of where we are, she is the best goalkeeper in the world. I mean, the World Cup proved that. The season that she had with Manchester United proved that. Yeah, I think at this stage, I think she is just top of the list, bar having a couple of um, uncharacteristic sort of errors and things over the last, I'd say, couple of months. But that's to be had in goalkeeping. She won Sports Personality of the Year. That kind of competition, when you talk about a personality... Mary Earps took a risk in speaking out against Nike and it's actually benefited in her favour because she has developed this support that she wouldn't have got had she not spoken out against Nike. What was the what was the risk? What was the risk, Charlotte? Going up against one of the biggest brands in the world and saying this is not good enough. You know, she even put an, on an Instagram post, is this some kind of apology? Considering that she probably earns more off the pitch than on the pitch. Then Knight could have easily <laughs> slammed her down and said, you know, we're not having any of this. But she actually spoke out. And as a media, as a journalist, when you're talking to athletes, it's not often that people will go against the grain. And Mary Earps did that. Especially not as an individual. And I think also the risk in the timing. I think had she had a poor tournament, I think people would have been saying, well, you know, you created this controversy before it all kicked off. Were your priorities in the right place? Should you have just focused on the football? So I think that was also sort of another element to it. Make sure you read Dan Sheldon's piece on the cult of Mary Earps out on The Athletic now. So that was Chloe's moment. Michael, what was yours? Uh, I'm going to go for South Africa's three to win over Italy at the Women's World Cup in Wellington. It's South Africa who make history through to the knockout phases. What a wonderful story this is. It was just an incredibly dramatic game. It was a must-win game for South Africa. Last game of the group phase. They had to win to to qualify ahead of Italy and they did so with a 90-second minute goal, which I must say was completely deserved. And it was just a fabulous experience on a footballing level. It was exactly what you want from a final group game. And just on a personal level, being over there covering it, the bad thing in general, but the good thing for me was that there was barely any journalists here. I mean, Italy didn't send any written journalists to the tournament, which is just extraordinary, really, considering they seem to send about a dozen to any Champions League game, men's Champions League game, even if Italian sides aren't involved. There were a decent number of South African journalists there, but it was just, I mean, it was kind of 
almost felt like justifying being there. It was, you know, the, the players are so forthcoming. They were great in the mix zone afterwards. Magai and Katlana, the two goal scorers, were fantastic. Desiree Ellis, one of the most charismatic, eloquent managers that I've encountered. And it was a victory for basically taking the women's game seriously, taking your preparation seriously. You know, South Africa and in fact, the African Confederation invested heavily in uh, in their use of data. They did more analysis than ever before. They had analysis tools that I think were, were beyond what is available to the men's side. And on the other hand, Italy, you know, a side who, when you go back to the early 90s, were, were the kind of leaders uh, in Europe in terms of uh, women's team performance, have just completely stagnated you know there's not enough coverage from the media that they don't seem to put any enough resources into their women's team and it kind of encapsulated what this tournament was all about okay by the time we got to the final four it was four of the teams you would have expected but I was one of the the people who thought if you expand the tournament to 32 teams you're going to get a lot of outsiders and you're going to get a lot of big score lines but actually three of the four African nations went through Nigeria were Fantastic in that game against uh, Australia. Morocco lost 6-0 to Germany and yet qualified ahead of them for the knockout stage. It was, I think, really a tournament for the underdogs. Michael, how did you find uh, Australia liking soccer for two weeks? Was that an Australian accent? No, it was American (laughs) slash Australian, which didn't come out like at all. Um, I tell you what, it was great. Like, I really... The funny thing was that the Women's Euros in, in England the previous year... There was a similar sense, I'd say kind of like an Olympic 2012 sense where like it felt like for the first time the country just got women's football. And Australia, I think, was the reverse because I think more so in Australia than in England, women's sports seems to have been a bit more prominent there over the years. So it wasn't that they were getting the women's side of things. It was that they were getting football. They were getting soccer. And it was quite odd because, I mean, I don't know whether Chloe had the same experience, but when I landed there, I said, oh, yeah, I'm here for the Women's World Cup to people. And like people in bars and taxi drivers were like, the Women's World Cup, which is that soccer or is it netball? And I was like, wow, we're going to have to really kind of hope they get their act together here. And by the end of the tournament, it was great. Like the the hype around that game, the England semi-final. I remember chatting to this pub landlord who was talking about when he'd shown or when the pub had shown the quarterfinal against France. And he was like, yeah, I've never seen anything like it. There's never been such clamour to watch a, a sporting game. And of course, like... We had people queuing outside and desperate to get into the pub. And I was like, well, that must have been great for business. And he said, no, it was terrible because for the penalty shootout, no one bought a drink for like 20 minutes because everyone was so hooked on the game. (laughs) And it was quite sweet. I mean, it's I'd only been over that side of the world once before, which was basically 25 years ago, like pre-internet pretty much. And I couldn't find out anything about football when I was over there for a month. Like I was about 10 years old. There was no way of accessing scores or Premier League news or anything. And of course, there's always been people who have been into soccer. But to see it kind of really take off as a sport on a kind of national level, even if it was for only two or three weeks, it was it was fantastic to be a part of. Do check out Michael's piece on The Athletic about how data helped African sides progress at the Women's World Cup. Charlotte, it's you up next. What was your moment of 2023? My moment was when France captain Wendy Renard announced in February that she would no longer be available for national team selection and that indirectly led to Corinne Diacre's, uh, the manager at that time, her departure. Now, the French Football Federation said the fracture between the players and the hierarchy seemed irreversible 
and it was detrimental to the interests of the national team. It seems a bit weird to have that as a moment, given somebody was sacked. And I have to say, via her lawyer, Diacre claimed she had been the subject of a smear campaign, which is astonishing in its violence and dishonesty. But this was not a, necessarily a celebratory moment, but it was very a key turning point for French women's football. Why did you choose that moment specifically? I think it was because Wendy Honard stood up for the professional standards that they needed. Uh, she said she could no longer support the current system and added that she would not play at this summer's World Cup to preserve her mental health. There were long-standing issues between Diacre and her players, but this time the emphasis was on the sporting, not the personal issues. Um, Renard made a stance and she put her career on the line uh, for the sake of a betterment or an improvement uh, for the standards for her players and her team. I think what really stood out for me with this moment was how quick the change came about once Renard stood up. So February the 24th, Renard said she wouldn't play. Two weeks later, Diak was sacked. And five weeks after Renard spoke up, they had a new coach. If you compare that to Spain, where 15 players protested against their setup in September 2022 and they still went to the World Cup with the same coach. So I think the effectiveness of this protest really stood out to me. Chloe, did it mean a lot to you in terms of players actually speaking out? Yeah, I think it's been quite nice this year. I think if the World Cup's kind of shown us anything is that there does seem to be a lot of players now using their platforms that, you know, the the kind of the, the social standards that they have for, for the greater good. And that sounds really cheesy, but I think in the sort of lead up to the World Cup, we obviously saw this happening so much with, you know, England obviously speaking up against the, um, the sort of the, the FA bonus situation. Obviously, after the World Cup, we had um, Spain sort of, you know, the process that were happening with the, with the squad and, and what was happening with Rubiales. We had... Before the World Cup again, the Jamaican Federation speaking up against, you know, the, the payments that they haven't been receiving, the accommodation, the hotels, the, the facilities. And I think that was one of the sort of highlights of the sort of tournament and how much of a light the World Cup shone on women's football and the community. Because I think that was an opportunity for the players to feel quite empowered because the attention was finally on some of them. So, yeah, I think that that in itself was sort of part of a, a wider women's football movement that we've seen this year. And, you know, players saying things aren't good enough. Um, and organisations like FIFA Pro have also been, you know, incredibly helpful in this space. I mean, they've produced a couple of reports this this year sort of speaking about, you know, conditions like mental health, uh, you know, not getting heart checks and things like that before the tournament. You know, federations not paying their their players enough, um, you know, where the professionalisation standards are across, across the different countries as well. So it, it does feel like it's been quite an empowering year. Definitely. I think that's something that Katie Wyatt's also going to pick up on in her her moment of the the year as well. Michael, in terms of France, if we look at the football, did you notice an improvement between when they were playing under Diak and now under Hervé Renard? It maybe wasn't as pronounced as we might have expected. I thought they were a decent side at the Euros last year. They probably could have gone further than they did. Obviously, they lost that pretty epic penalty shootout against Australia. No, I must admit, I, I kind of had them as really strong contenders for this tournament, which didn't quite turn out as I as I would have expected. But yeah, I think in general they gave themselves a, a greater possibility of getting to the latter stages with the uh, with the change in manager. I suppose it takes time to adapt to a new coach. Let's see if they go further than the quarterfinals at their home Olympics in 2024. So that wraps up Chloe, Michael, and Charlotte's moments of 2023. 
If you've got one of your own, do send it to us on email to fte at theathletic.com or at the Athletic FC on Twitter and Instagram. Here's some other stand-up moments from our athletic writers. Hey, it's Meg Linehan, women's soccer writer over in the U.S. And while I think probably a lot of people are going <laughs> to immediately jump to the World Cup as, as one of the major moments, for me, actually, I think it's one of the results from the U.S. Uh, women's national team's World Cup, and that is the hiring of Emma Hayes as this team's next head coach. I think that to me, is going to be one of the biggest moments of 2023 when we are a couple years out, we're looking back on this. And obviously, you know, the failure made this happen, but the response to me is, I think, honestly bigger than what happened in the World Cup. Having been in Fort Lauderdale and Frisco, Texas at the end of the year with the team, even though she hasn't actually formally started the position yet, you can already see her impact. So for me, the moment of 2023 is Emma Hayes heading to the U.S. Women's National Team. This is Katie Wyatt. I'm one of the women's football writers at The Athletic. One of the standout things of the year for me was Nigeria's performance at the World Cup and Jamaica's performance as well. We obviously had a World Cup that was very much defined by all of the off-field problems that a lot of teams were encountering and it was very much the case for those two. They produced some moments on the field that just captured the world and made the world sit up and take notice. Yet a lot of the problems that they were dealing with are things that have persisted today, even after the World Cup. We've heard so many stories of how difficult the tournament was for them, um, issues around them being paid their bonuses and, and things like that. And I think that it was just a real reminder of not only what women can do even when they're not supported but just how far the game has got to come so I think that those experiences that those teams endured is something that was really really symbolic of the World Cup and that we definitely have to take notice and learn from going into the next few World Cups. Hi, this is Steph Young, and my moment of 2023 was the passing of the old guard at the 2023 World Cup this summer. We saw the last World Cup for multiple legends of the game, Marta, Christine Sinclair, Megan Rapino, and none of them had a particularly great tournament. None of their teams advanced very far. It was honestly cause for a lot of humbling reflection on the nature of superstardom and the wisdom in those veteran players who are always saying, be in this moment. Let the World Cup sink in. Don't be so focused on result that you lose sight of how cool it is to be where you are. And we saw that joy in the new generation, the Linda Caicedos and the Salma Parayuelos. And they were definitely that reminder for me to not get so caught up in who was leaving the game that I couldn't see how cool it is who's making the game theirs now. Hello there, it's Kiva O'Neill and of course my moment of 2023 is Katie McCabe's goal against Canada for the Republic of Ireland at the World Cup. Here's the corner, sent right underneath the goalkeeper and in! What a terrific moment for Katie McCabe! She scored directly from a corner and of course she did because she's Katie McCabe but it was a moment that meant so much to so many people I think, you know, given that it was Ireland's first ever World Cup it was the first ever World Cup goal and I mean looking back it had to be scored from a corner by McCabe didn't it because you know that's just what she does she's a captain and she's magnificent and that just sums her up I think in terms of Irish football that'll always be a moment that will you know 
be played year after year and be looked back on as a special moment because, yeah, it was one of the best goals scored in 2023, you know, if not in the past 20 years for, for the shock and wonder of it all. Hi, this is Melanie Day, and my moment in 2023 was when Gotham FC won its first NWSL championship, giving Ali Krieger a poetic send-off into a well-deserved retirement. In recent years, the club has attracted investment from what may seem like unlikely sources. There's WNBA legend Sue Bird, the NBA's Kevin Durant, and former NFL star Eli Manning. The list goes on. All minority owners who bought into what this club in New Jersey was selling. The team's front office, spearheaded by GM and former player Yael Iverbush West, has also been meticulous in who they brought into this club, like Coach of the Year Juan Carlos Amorose and countless blockbuster signings including Krieger, Lynn Williams, and Esther Gonzalez. The team last year finished in last place. Four years before that, the team was knee-deep in scandal with several reports of poor player conditions. That sparked much-needed reform at the franchise. In a lot of ways, this seems like just the beginning for Gotham, and that's what makes this moment so special. Hi, I'm Laia Cervello covering Spanish women's football, and my moment of the year 2023 is Spain winning the World Cup in Australia. Few people expected it in Spain, not because the national team did not have a good squad, but because there had been a lot of internal crisis in the last year, and also Spain had never gone beyond the round of 16 in official competition, so that means that they had never won a match in the knockout stages. 15 of their best players resigned from the national team complaining about Jorge Vilda's staff 10 months before the World Cup and until the last moment there were doubts about which ones would go and which ones would not. Seeing Spain lifting their first major trophy was exciting for what it implied for a team that experienced the World Cup as a roller coaster and this World Cup has been a before and after uh, for Spain, especially for what came after Rubiales kiss to Jennifer Hermoso and the revolution of some players who have shown resilience and have changed for good Spanish women's football. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search the Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. You're listening to Full-Time Europe from The Athletic. Some great moments chosen there. I just wanted to pick up on Liar's moment. I feel like a very seminal moment in the year was that kiss from Luis Rubiales on Jenny Hermoso and how much it's changed in Spanish football. Charlotte, it feels like that was a really defining moment of 2023. Absolutely. And... I'm quite glad that it was done on the biggest stage so everybody could see it and it wasn't brushed under the carpet. Spain raised those concerns before and not everybody was listened to. I also think you have to think about the players 
who stayed behind and didn't go to the World Cup and what they sacrificed. But you cannot think of 2023 and not forget that moment, which will define, you know, before and after moment for for Spain women's uh, national team history. I feel like it went wider than Spain as well, didn't it? I think this moment kind of transcended women's football in terms of this is what some women have to deal with and people don't believe you unless it's live on TV at a World Cup final. I think that was quite a powerful message that it sent out. And Chloe, I think what was odd, wasn't it, in the aftermath was how long it took for the changes to go through, how much they're still fighting for and just the toll it must have taken on the players as well. I think, you know, they don't just have to win a World Cup, but then they have to go through all of that and the, the trauma that Jenny Hermoso and her teammates went through as well. Yeah, massively. I think, you know, like Charlotte said, this wasn't an isolated incident. This was something that the Spanish team had been fighting for, you know, over the, the previous year. And I think it was obviously great that they were sort of finally being listened to. And it felt like actually something, you know, as high profile and as, you know, that attracted such a big audience would, you know, that would obviously be the thing that sort of instigates all this very quick, rapid change. And, you know, you could obviously sort of that would be the obvious thing and that's I think what a lot of people were expecting and, and maybe naively but I think that was the most horrible thing is that after the incident took place it was then the players you know some of them weren't selected or then they were sort of recalled up and they, they were still having these kind of battles with the federation and still being treated quite poorly by the federation and then obviously Rubiales was sort of speaking up against things. the federation had these weird posts that they put out and never attracted and you know, the whole situation became so much more convoluted and, and horrible and nasty for the players and it completely took away from and detracted the, you know the historic moment that it was for them and what an empowering you know day that that should have been a massive day of celebration for them and it was completely shrouded in this kind of horrible incident that had taken place and the comments now coming out from the the FIFA report as to you know why why the sanctions were imposed on Rubiales and it obviously you know mentions and references some of the stuff that took place with with some of the England players too so it, it you know it wasn't just Spain that was affected by that obviously Jenny Hermoso being being the main person but a number of players were affected that day and, and will have been impacted emotionally psychologically by by those events and also the aftermath and, and the fact that it's still continuing we're still trying to see what the outcome will be of the of the criminal case as well so it's um yeah it's been a big year for, for all of those players and I think, uh, you know, anyone in the women's football community or anyone who cares about women's football, obviously, you know, be thinking of them throughout this entire entire year. But I think the main thing to take away from that is what an incredible achievement they, they had in, in summer. Despite it being at the, the peril of of, uh, of the Lionesses, it, it was a, an absolute, they had an incredible tournament. So, yeah, that's the takeaway and standout point for, for me. Charlotte mentioned the players who missed the World Cup to kind of stand up for their beliefs. Patrick Jaro and Mapi Leon, still not part of the Spanish national team. And that was actually my moment of 2023. I wanted to pay tribute to one of those players, to Patrick Jaro. So I picked out Barcelona's comeback in the Champions League final against Wolfsburg. Barcelona were 2-0 down at half time, and then Patrick Jaro scores two goals in two minutes to bring... Barcelona back into the game the first goal was an absolute brilliant one touch finish opens up her body fires the ball into into the roof of the net I think it's really important to recognize the quality of those players and that they would have made the World Cup if the situation with the Spanish national team had been different and when Spain were lifting the World Cup, I couldn't help but think of Patrick Icaro and, and Mapi Leon and the players who 
refused to be selected. They gave up that World Cup trophy for their principles. And that's a really powerful thing to do. And that really resonated with me. And on the footballing side, Barcelona had really struggled to come back before from being down, losing 4-1 to Lyon in the 2019 Champions League final and 3-1 to Lyon in the 2022 Champions League final, I think conceding all their goals in the first 30-35 minutes. So from a footballing perspective, it was a big moment. But for Patrick Guijaro, I think that that's really powerful. That really stuck out for me. That's it for 2023. Thank you so much for joining me, Michael Cox, Charlotte Harper and Chloe Morgan. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're listening to Full Time Europe with Sophie Penny. Let's finish on a moment from the end of the year that you might have missed watching on TV. You'll have heard Full Time Europe is sponsored by Google Pixel. Now it's time to go beyond the frame with me from Wembley and Charlotte from Hampton Park as Team GB tried and failed to qualify for the Olympics. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd, the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. Ella Toon will rightly be grabbing the headlines for that late winner against the Netherlands to keep Team GB's Olympic hopes alive. But instrumental to turning around England's attack was Beth Mead. She was brought on at halftime for her first England game since tearing her ACL a year ago. And what an impact she made. In England's first goal, you may not have seen it, but she made a deep, wide run, which drew Esme Brute out of the way. That gave Georgia Stanway extra space to head in Lauren James's cross. Just two minutes later, there was Mead again. She drifted into a more left central area, which allowed her to play the ball into the middle of the box for Georgia Stanway to lay off to Lauren Hemp for the goal. Mead adding that central threat was incredibly important because England were really lacking that in the first half. They played winger Lauren Hemp in their number nine role and she was often stuck out on the wing trying to cross into nobody. Mead's ability to win the ball back and kickstart England's attacks will also give them hope after a rocky Nations League campaign. And Mead only returned for Arsenal in the WSL on the 15th of October. So there's a lot of potential there looking forward. Beth Mead, the difference here at Wembley. One thing that you may have missed from that Scotland against England game was that England were on a mission. As soon as they scored, the players pointed to the ball in the back of the net and wanted to get the game up and running once again. They beckoned the ball girls and ball boys to give them the ball quickly on throw-ins and they didn't celebrate any of their first half goals. It was only when Lucy Bronze scored her sixth and she knew that the Netherlands had scored so England had to score to keep up with the Netherlands did she fall to her knees and let out a guttural roar and celebrate that sixth goal. But still, it wasn't enough and the emotions after the full-time whistle were extraordinary when England found out that the Netherlands had progressed and scored in the 95th minute. England were 
gobsmacked, shocked. And that is the drama of football. I have never seen such a tantalizing game go down to the wire. One team thought they had it and then another team stole it from them. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. You can read more about all the moments of 2023 that we've mentioned in this show on The Athletic. Head to theathletic.com slash WSL to grab your subscription now. Before you go, do give us a rating and a review and don't forget to follow Full Time Europe on your podcast feed. Send us your thoughts via email on fte at theathletic.com or at theathleticfc on Twitter and Instagram. Join us in January as we look ahead to what 2024 will bring. But first... Let's take a look back at the Athletics Moments of 2023. Ce sont les déclarations et la décision de Wendy Renard de se mettre en retrait des Bleus avant la Coupe du Monde qui va très vite arriver. Elle a reçu. I felt a real responsibility to speak up for goalkeepers even more. You know, the goalkeeper union is a very passionate group, and I felt that it wasn't right what was happening, and I felt like a dangerous message was being. Sent to the world. Here's the corner sent right underneath the goalkeeper and in. What a terrific moment for Katie McCabe. A point enough to secure a place in the last 16 for the very first time. They're the first Caribbean nation to make it. And it's maybe the end of Marta's glittering career. Caicedo. Caicedo! It's special. She's special. South Africa. We're getting the news that has been widely anticipated since Emma Hayes announced that she was leaving Chelsea at the end of the season. She is going to be the 10th full-time head coach for the US national team. Lo escuchas bien, es la historia de la ser, España. <laughs>